Welcome to episode 98 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, new, improved, ultralight, waterproof, breathable, and loaded with functionality. These are words that you might read on the packaging for backpacking gear. But where does the hype end and the honesty begin? Right here. Then on today's top five list, the top five pieces of gear that ensure that you won't get flustered on your next blustery trip. For today's backpack hack of the week, Gilbert from the Patagonia Warnware program shares a hack for revitalizing a corroded zipper. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from the son of an organist and an anarchist. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Walk through any outdoor store and you are going to see some of the most incredible innovation to hit the outdoors since the first flint made the first spark. You'll see stoves that boil water in two minutes, sleeping bags that can keep you warm in sub-negative 20 degree weather, shoes that can let the moisture out but won't let the moisture in, duck down that floats on water like a duck, repair tape that gets stronger with time, and communication devices that use alien spaceships, aka satellites, to communicate with all of your friends back home. What kind of sorcery is this? I mean, should I believe it all? And how do I make sure that I'm getting what I paid for and what I need? It's tough when you look at the labels and the marketing and they explain this amazing technology that they've put into their product. And of course, since it has the word technology, we sort of elevate our perception of what they've done with that product. Or when they add an acronym, you're just like, ooh, or or a little diagram. These diagrams make it so believable, right? It's like, yeah, the water, it just bounces right off. But the water that's on the inside, it just makes its way right through as if it's completely permeable. And so we believe it because the diagram says so. And there is a lot of truth to what's on the packaging, but there's also reality. Every one of those technologies has its limits. It's going to kind of do what it purports to do, usually. So how do we figure it out? I mean, if just reading the labels kind of gives you the marketing perspective, and yet you really want to know how this gear is going to work for you personally when you're out backpacking, then how do we bridge that gap between the marketing hype and the reality for your own experience? Well, one of my favorite ways to kind of blow through the marketing hype is to just ask a lot of questions. The backpacking forums have a lot of people who've had a lot of experience. And so you can ask, how long does the DWR or the durable water repellent coating last on a jacket? Like how long should I expect it to last? I'm a big data guy. So I love to look at the data 
A real perfect example of this is sleeping bags. The degree ratings on sleeping bags are completely made up. Maybe I'm overstating the point, but the manufacturers just come up with a, you know, 20, a 30, a 10. They throw a number on there. Now, there is actually a system for rating the warmth of a sleeping bag. It's the EN ratings uh, that were developed in Europe. And some manufacturers are starting to use those ratings on their sleeping bags, but a lot of them are not yet using those. Or take water filters. When it says this water filter can treat up to 100 gallons of water, well, what does that mean? It's a great idea to go ahead and ask someone, was this tested with city tap water? Or was this tested, you know, what, what water was it tested with? Because you're going to filter a lot of city tap water before that filter gets clogged compared to a silty glacial runoff river on your backpacking trip. There's a big difference between those two. So sometimes even just asking, who are the regulating or governing agencies that can back up these claims? Who's the one who tracks the data? Is there an outside agency testing this or is the testing all done in-house? You know, just finding out what the numbers actually mean will help you to make a good purchasing decision. Another thing that I think really helps as you're trying to cut through all of the marketing hype is to ignore all of the claims of what the product does and ask yourself, what does the product not do? You know, you may find an incredible sleeping pad with a 5.1 R value, but after you take a trip, you discover that it takes about 45 breaths to inflate the pad. You know, it might leave you wondering if you shouldn't have just stuck with your cheap blue closed cell phone pad because you don't have to blow that up. So, you know, yay that it's 5.1 R value for this wonderful new pad, but is the hassle of inflating that new pad worth it? Walkie-talkies are another example of this. They claim a certain number of miles on the outside of the package, but for every boulder, tree, or switchback, you're really decreasing the number of miles that those walkie-talkies will actually cover. I think we can also watch out for the stuff that's uh, quote-unquote gimmicky. Uh, it's just sometimes there's some features that you scratch your head and go, hmm, yeah, that's clever. But is it worth an extra $100? A couple years ago, Osprey came out with a heat-molded hip belt that could exactly conform to your hips after they put it in a special on-site oven. It sounds like a really cool idea, but it was more expensive. So is it worth the money? Is it a useful feature or simply a gimmick? Sometimes these gimmicks become the new standard in backpacking gear, but other times they don't. Another example is the CRKT home front knife. It's a knife that can be fully taken apart to be cleaned. Now, at first glance, you might be like, oh, that's kind of gimmicky. But maybe depending on how you use your knife or the conditions that you use your knife in, having a knife that you can completely take apart and clean will be really useful for you. You know, it's kind of funny, even in the outdoor world, we have our own version of celebrity endorsements, except we call them trail ambassadors. So are you going to buy a piece of gear just because it went to the top of Yahoo Mountain with Captain Oxygen? Or are you going to buy it because it's a good fit for the needs that you'll have on the trail? And the truth is, if you're going to be summiting Yahoo Mountain, 
then it could be a really good fit for you. Outdoor gear companies, uh, it, it's a really common practice among them to sign up these brand ambassadors. They're independent people, you know, like ourselves, uh, who are just doing whatever they're doing, but they are also, on the side, a brand ambassador for a particular brand. And they usually work that brand into the stuff they do. So when they write a blog post or they post on social media or wherever, uh, they're, they're always kind of incorporating that particular brand into the content that they put out. The two of us are not brand ambassadors. We have not signed up with any particular companies to promote their products. We do a lot of gear reviews, though, and uh, many of those products are sent to us by companies. Uh, they don't sponsor our podcast. Um, they don't sign us up as ambassadors. We have no particular commitment to those companies. Uh, we just test that gear and share our own experiences, good or bad, as we've used the gear that they send us. We get a lot of questions over Facebook and Twitter about gear. Someone will ask us a question like, I'm looking at fill-in-the-blank tent. What do you think? And usually our answers to those questions are not a simple thumbs up or thumbs down. Usually we talk to the person about the considerations that they should be aware of as they make their decision about buying a tent. So they can be informed in making that decision, but they need to buy a tent that works for them, not a tent that works for the two of us. And so that's why we can't give a simple thumbs up or thumbs down to those questions, but we can share our experience and share the things to consider. And so oftentimes we will point people back to an episode of the podcast where we reviewed a similar product from a different manufacturer. So we reviewed a different tent, like the REI Passage 2 or the Big Agnes Copper Spur. And we refer them back to those episodes because we not only reviewed a tent, but we also talked about the decision process and the features and considerations that matter when buying a tent. And so you can apply those same considerations to a completely different brand, a completely different model of tent, and still make a good decision that way. I think a great example of that is you know, we've really beat the drum on the importance of a two-person tent. Like, it's just so versatile, so great. But we recently connected with a family of nine. So mom and dad and seven little kids. They made their way around the trail carrying a four-person tent, and they were able to fit their entire little backpacking family in that tent. And that was the best fit for them. That was a really great choice because it kept all the little kids together. They were able to combine sleeping bags and they created a system that was very functional and worked perfectly for their family situation. Outdoor gear is improving every single day. And there's always going to be something out there that's newer, lighter, stronger, and cooler. But all of us have finite resources. So it's important to ask the questions, do the research, and really figure out what your needs are on the trail so that you don't get sucked into the marketing hype. For today's top five list, the top five pieces of gear for windy trips. Our last family trip, which was our last trip of the summer, was windy about 10 to 20 miles per hour during the day, and then it died down a little bit at night. We learned some really great things on that trip that helped us to prepare for future windy trips. 
The first thing we learned is that a tent can be really helpful to protect you from the wind. Now you've got to stake it down really well and make sure that you've got a sturdy tent that's going to withstand whatever wind you're going to be facing. But uh, we were in hammocks and we did well. But the thing is, the wind just cuts right through a hammock. So if you're in a hammock, uh, you at least are going to need to consider the insulation that you use if it's windy. I mean, it can be 65 degrees out, but if it's windy, you're going to get cold. And so a closed cell foam pad uh, may actually be a great way to go in a hammock on a windy night to just completely cut that wind chill. But with a tent, you can get inside of it and sort of be protected from the wind. You get that little retreat from that constant battle with the wind. Another great thing about a tent on a windy trip is that you can also get away from the blowing dust, the blowing sand. It can sometimes just kind of just kind of gets in your hair, gets in your toes, gets everywhere. And it's really nice to have a little retreat from all of the stuff that the wind is kicking up. So I'm curious, since we've been talking about hammocks the last several episodes, and that was kind of the big thing we tried over the summer for the first time, uh, I know we've got quite a few hammock campers listening to the podcast now. And I'm curious uh, what tips they'll come up with in response to what we just said a second ago about exactly. ditching the hammock. There's got to be some way to windproof the hammock. And I yeah. think Hennessy makes uh, like an all-in-one hammock that is more windproof. But definitely there's got to be a way to still use the hammock and get some of the benefits of the tent, but get the comfort of the hammock on these windy trips. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're a hammock camper and you've got great solutions for when it's super windy, bring it on. Uh, just post on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear your suggestions. The number two piece of gear for windy trips is a windscreen for your pot. A windscreen is just a really thin piece of metal that goes around your cooking gear and your stove so that the wind doesn't wreak havoc with your fuel efficiency. And usually it rolls up or it folds up. A lot of people, like especially the ultralight backpackers, will just use a few layers of aluminum foil and kind of wrap that around their cooking system. I'm going to say this is a must-have for all trips because even though it may not feel really windy on some of those really quiet trips that you go on, it is windy. Like the wind still comes through and can really mess with your fuel efficiency. And keep your meal prep simple. When the wind is blowing, you've got not only the problem with your uh, flame from your stove, you know, and all that heat just being lost and drawn away by the wind. But you also have a problem when you're trying to prepare your food, cut things up, and, and all of a sudden part of your meal just goes flying away in the wind. So keep it simple on a windy trip so that you're doing as little meal prep as possible. Of course, on our last trip of the summer, we went stoveless completely. So that's that's an option too. Yeah, and that was great. That really cut down on lots of food prep time, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> the number three piece of gear for windy trips would be water flavoring. One of the things that happens on windy trips that you don't even realize is that you become dehydrated, kind of like a prune, without even realizing it, because the wind is just drying you out. So drinking more water is important, which can sometimes be hard to do. So just drop a couple flavoring tablets in your water bottle, or you can use Tang or Gatorade powder or make your own Kool-Aid mix, whatever it takes to get you to drink more water so you don't become dehydrated. 
The number four piece of gear for windy trips is a buff or a hat. A hat is great for guys with short hair, but if you are a lady or a gent with long hair, then a buff is perfect. So what I do with it is I just put the buff on my head like a hat, but then I extend it out over my hair so it's like a tube hat, and then I don't get all these annoying flyaways in my face. It looks terrible. It just looks <laughs> super weird. I look like some Star Wars cantina character or something, but it keeps all of the hair out of my face. And the number five piece of gear to bring on windy trips is a windbreaker. Wind chill will just really take the heat out of you. Like we mentioned a minute ago, you could be sleeping on a 65 degree night, but if it's windy, you'll be cold because it just takes that heat right out of your body so much more quickly than still air. And so a windbreaker, it could be super thin, super light, but it's so useful because of the fact that it just keeps the wind out. And so it allows for that little buffer of calm air around your body that can get up to the temperature of your body and keep you warm without just losing it all every time the wind blows. I really enjoyed using a windbreaker. I always thought it was a piece of 80s or 90s fashion, you know, the windbreaker <laughs> just looks cool, but it doesn't really do anything. Turns out windbreakers are really useful and they can keep you really warm, especially on a trip that you know is going to be, you know, the temperatures are going to be warm, but it's going to be really windy. And so you don't want to bring a big down puffy. You just want to bring a windbreaker and stick it in your pack. So wind is just another challenge that Mother Nature tries to throw at us, and we can easily overcome it and still have great experiences outside. And as promised, today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Patagonia Houdini Windbreaker Jacket. You may have heard of the Patagonia Houdini. It's such a common piece of gear that Patagonia named it one of their cult pieces of gear. Wow. It's really well-loved by runners, hikers, cyclists, and it's an especially nice shoulder season addition to your pack. The Patagonia Houdini is just a basic shell. It's super lightweight. It's water repellent. It's very compact and it's breathable. So for structure, it's 100% nylon. It's a zippered jacket and it's somewhat water resistant. I would say it'll keep the sprinkles off, but its main feature is that it cuts the wind. For utility, the Patagonia Houdini has one pocket that's on the upper left-hand side of your chest, and it's maybe big enough to hold a house key, a whistle, a pocket knife, a credit card. It barely, barely fits my little phone. And I have a pretty small, basic phone. So it's just going to hold a few things in there. And that pocket also is able to fit the entire jacket when you're ready to stuff and store the jacket. The Patagonia Houdini is a hooded jacket, but the hood doesn't cinch where you would expect it to. It cinches in the back, so it tightens the hood around the cranium. Most hooded gear cinches around your face where it can kind of block visibility and kind of, you know, you kind of feel that squinched face feeling. Yeah, the tighter you pull it, the more it comes in right around your eyeballs. Yeah. And it starts to distract you. Right, but the Patagonia Houdini, since it cinches in the back of your head, it leaves your whole face open and doesn't block any of your visibility. This windbreaker has 
an elastic cinch at the bottom of the jacket. So if it's super windy, you can just tighten that up. It has elastic cuffs where the elastic just goes halfway around. So you're not getting pinched all the way around your wrist. It's just a half elastic. And then the back of the jacket is just a little bit lower than the front. So you get a little more coverage. As far as mass goes, the Patagonia Houdini Windbreaker weighs 3.4 ounces or 99 grams. And when it's stuffed up inside of its own pocket, it's about the size of, oh, I'd say, a large russet potato, Ooh. but way lighter. <laughs> I love it. And then for maintenance, you can't go wrong if you just hand wash and air dry this jacket. For investment, it is $99 on Patagonia's website, but there is a good chance that you can find it for around $50 to $70 on REI's website. Let's talk about your experience with the Patagonia Houdini. As we've already mentioned several times on this episode, <laughs> our last trip of the summer was windy. It was. So I am super glad that I brought the Houdini on our Oregon coast trip. It truly cut the wind. But the nice thing is that it didn't really add bulk. And I knew that on this trip, most of the chill on this trip was going to be from the wind. The temperatures were in the upper 50s to mid 60s. And so it wasn't super cold, but the wind made it feel cold. And one of the things that I loved about this jacket is it's a really slim fitting jacket. So I didn't wear it over a down puffy. I wore it over a little down vest and it fit really well. It's not really meant to fit over, you know, a puffy, big puffy jacket. It's meant to be something that you wear over maybe like a fleece and the Houdini will cut the wind. The Patagonia Houdini is so lightweight and for the price, I mean, $100 may be a lot to spend on a windbreaker, but like we said, there are other options out there that really cut the price on this and make it a really affordable piece of gear that doesn't weigh very much. And it's a piece of gear that really makes sense. Well, it really was a great piece of gear for you on this backpacking trip. And the sun came and went, so sometimes we're a little warmer, sometimes we're a little cooler. And I think where the Patagonia Houdini really shines is that it's so lightweight, so compact, and then the design fits your body so well that it's comfortable to wear. And I, I got to share this little uh, tidbit. This is really funny. Um, you know, after that trip, we posted pictures from the trip. And there was one picture from uh, our last day right before we headed back out on the trail. It's the whole family. And one of our listeners, Paul, he said, this picture is very confusing. Your clothing... <laughs> You guys range from being on the beach to face in a blizzard. <laughs> this Midwesterner is very confused. Was it cold or was it hot? <laughs> the reason he asked that question was because uh, you, Heather, were wearing a buff on your head, a buff on your neck, um, the puffy vest with the Patagonia Houdini over top of it. And our son standing next to you was wearing a t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. Two of our kids were barefoot. <laughs> so I can see why Paul was just completely confused by this picture. But it's those kinds of situations where something like the Patagonia Houdini is really nice because it's so compact and so lightweight. You can have it in your pack and it's there when you need it, but it's not taking a lot of space. Yeah. Based on that picture, it's obvious we have different tolerances for cold in our family. 
<laughs> it really, I mean, it's just this mix with a couple barefoot kids, a couple kids in shorts, a couple wearing sweaters, sweaters and shorts. <laughs> I'm kind of in between with a, a lightweight long sleeve shirt and hiking pants. And then we've got you like, completely bundled up. <laughs> uh, I need to exercise my cold tolerance muscle. Well, today our backpack hack of the week is a simple corroded zipper fix. And we got this from Gilbert, who is in the Patagonia Warnware department. He travels around with Patagonia fixing people's gear. He is so good at it. And he had a really great tip for us that we wanted to share with you today. Hey, how's it going? This is Gilbert from uh, Patagonia, and I'm here with your backpack hack of the week. I was just telling Heather about uh, corroded zippers on backpacks, and um, what I've noticed is the best solution for that is uh, pouring rubbing alcohol actually inside the zipper and around where the corrosion's at. Once you do that, let it sit for a little bit and have the alcohol soak into the corrosion and get like a little tiny wire brush or uh, a toothbrush or kind of something small. You could kind of brush in there and scrub a little bit of that corrosion off. And then after that, your zipper should be ready to go and should be free of that corrosion. And all you would have to do is replace that pool instead of replacing the whole zipper. All right, this is Gil with Backpack Hack of the Week. You guys take care. Now that hack was for metal zippers, which can become rusted or corroded. However, I think it's worth a try on nylon zippers as well, because the alcohol would do a really good job of just getting any grime off of the zipper that may have built up and is causing it to stick or not work very well. And if you have issues with Patagonia gear, this year they had a touring truck that went from Texas to Arkansas, Tennessee, Georgia, D.C., New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, MI, what is that, Michigan? <laughs> yes. Michigan and Illinois. <laughs> they were all over the place fixing gear, and they had their schedule up on patagonia.com slash worn-wear.html, and we'll have the link in the show notes so you can check it out. I hope they do this next year because I think it's a really great opportunity to take your old gear and give it a new life. A lot of gear that we have has stories attached to it, and you want to keep the stories alive. And those stories, a lot of times, live in the gear. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Edward Abbey. He starts out with something that reminds me of an old Chinese proverb that I heard, which is that a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, but then he takes it a little further. He said, the longest journey begins with a single step, not with a turn of the ignition key. That's the best thing about a walking, the journey itself. It doesn't much matter whether you get where you're going or not, you'll get there anyway. Every good hike brings you eventually back home, right where you started. We're hitting a huge milestone in a couple weeks. We have episode 100 coming up. We're really excited. And to show you how excited we are, we're going to put a new design for a t-shirt up on our website. So stay tuned for our new design. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, then grab a t-shirt at thefirst40miles.com slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
<laughs> you want outtakes? I'm here to give you outtakes. Thank you. <laughs> you want content? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Doing right. my part. <laughs> the two of us are not brand ambassadors. Ambassadors. <laughs> you can say it like that. Yeah. It's... We could be brand ambassadorks. <laughs> That's what we yeah. can be.